Hello everyone, welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. Today, we are going to be posting a special bonus episode on Jerry Maguire for all of you. So I hope you enjoy. I'm here with JB Huffman. It's his second time on the podcast. He was on for the Any Given Sunday episode. We had a great conversation and he reached out to me because he's a huge fan of Jerry Maguire, as he and everyone should be. It's a classic, unforgettable 90s movie. And I'm excited to discuss with him some of the themes and some of the philosophies of this film. So welcome, first of all. Uh, and how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Just watched uh, Jerry Maguire for the second time this year, so uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you said you even bought it on... Uh, movies Anywhere. I bought the 4K version. I, I found it for like five bucks, so yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll take that. That's so interesting to me. What did you think about the 4K version as opposed to just a normal version? I have a 40-inch TV. That's the only 4K TV in my house. So it doesn't really make much of a difference. Yeah, I, it would feel weird to me because I'm just so used to the VHS version, which is kind of grainy, low quality, but I like the lo-fi nature. Uh, 4K always feels very stilted and it reveals too much. I cannot stand it. There's something about the movement that feels alien to me. I'm in a minority on that. Many people love 4K. I absolutely cannot stand it. When I go to a family member's house who watch 4K, it just puts me off. It feels too video gamey, and I think that's part of its appeal, but not for me. So, cool. Let's jump right into some questions about this movie. So, I've already spoken on this film at length. I'm really curious about your take and opinion on just some of these big life themes and existential issues that become almost biblical in this film or are filled with business acumen and advice and the deep questions we ask ourselves. I just want to know what you thought about Jerry's mission statement. So, you know, he says a lot of things like fewer clients, less money. Do you think that he had a real message behind that mission statement? Or was it a bunch of superficial aphorisms strung together? And do you think he should have been fired? That's a good question. I think he built a career on getting a lot of clients and, and making the most money, money possible and spending very little time with them because he has so many of them. And I, I feel like he just had an epiphany that night and it was really late when he was typing this up. That's the time where I feel like you're the most vulnerable. So I felt like it was probably genuine. And this was kind of the start of his uh, arc in the movie and him, you know, changing his outlook on the business and his outlook on life. That was a big turning point for him. And, and from then on out, it was him, you know, slowly getting to what he typed out on that, on that uh, mission statement. And he keeps saying just a mission statement, but I think as, as the movie progresses, it becomes more and more like, no, this is gospel, right? This is the way we should be living. As far as him being fired, no, I don't think he should have been fired because, I mean, it's not like he was saying we need to change this entire company like right now. I think it's more along the lines of we need to get back to the roots of what we're supposed to be doing here. And that's nurturing these 20-year-old guys who, who need some guidance and need help. They need personal relationships and you're not going to understand them and you're not going to go to bat for them unless you know them personally. Yeah, one of the 
regular voices in this film is the character Dickie Fox, right? And Dickie Fox comes in and gives advice, pretty much breaking the fourth wall, speaking directly to the audience. And his first business strategy or his first words of advice are the key to business is personal relationship. And you point that that is also the key theme to the mission statement. In what ways does the movie sell or prove that Jerry Maguire really had a transformative shift in which he stuck by this motto? I think his shift didn't really happen deliberately. I think it happened with the relationships that he had. To me, there's three key characters that shaped him in this movie, and that's Rod, Dorothy, and Ray, is that his name? Her son? Yeah. yeah. So like to me, the, the relationships he had with them are what set him on this path and pushed him in that direction. I think he kept going, but I think it was more along the lines of nurture, you know, versus nature type thing. But I mean, a lot of credit could be given to him too, because he didn't have to put forth effort with these people, but he did. I think the movie fleshes that out, that he stick to it throughout the movie. He learns a lot from Rod and Dorothy and even Ray throughout the film, but he has to be vulnerable enough. And he said that word already. He said in the middle of the night is when you're most vulnerable. And I think that's one of the major motifs in the film is vulnerability. Whenever there's these huge moments, people are stripped down to their essential self and it gets very personal and intimate. And Mm -hmm. out of all of the huge scenes, because there's so many huge scenes in this movie that are timeless, which one sticks out to you the most as having emotional oomph as really culminating to the heights of everything that Jerry Maguire says he's going to stand for and then does. Oddly enough, the first time I thought about that was when he was talking to Ray and when he was talking to Ray about his dad, like just going off just about everything between him and his dad. And, you know, this kid who doesn't care about what he's saying, but he's just like going off on a tangent, not even comprehending the fact that he's talking to a kid. And all of a sudden the kid says, I really like the zoo. You should take me to the zoo sometime. Like just interrupts him and says that. And he was like, you know what? You're right. I talk about myself too much. I tend to ramble and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk because that's just what I'm supposed to do. And it's what I've always had to do. You're absolutely right. I need to stop. And you know what? I am going to take you to the zoo someday. It was an epiphany for him that I need to focus on who I'm talking to and and less on myself. That was a big moment for me between him and the kid. Then he had a lot of great moments with Rod too. I mean, Jerry would just go off on things and Rod would just laugh at him. You know, you're hanging on by a thread and I love that about you, man. Like he's just putting him in his place saying, you got some personal growth to get to and and I love that about you and I'm going to stay with you. Yeah, I love both of those relationships in different ways. But I want to start with Rod, where you ended up. I like that you said that he's hanging by a thread, yet Rod stuck there with him through thick and thin, right? That's one of the key elements of this film. It's that relationships need to have a degree of dependability and loyalty and mutual confidence in one another. And despite their moments of combativeness, right? So despite their mm-hmm. their squabbles and heated eruptions where they call each other out, they are always there for one another. And that's probably one of the most powerful sentiments that comes across is that mm-hmm. perseverance of a friendship, of a business association or a business relationship. And you really root for Rod because you can see just how 
legitimate he is as a human in terms of not being seduced by perhaps an easier option to go with someone with a true big company backing him, right? He's stuck with Jerry Maguire because he's someone who already lives by the ethos of his mission statement, which is that personal relationships are everything. So Rod is almost the symbol of what Jerry wants to be, but he also has his flaws, which are things that Jerry has. He doesn't know actually how to fake his confidence as well. And Jerry has scenes where he's instructing him how to be more confident or how to play with heart in certain ways and how to think think less about money, which is a thing they both struggle with. So they have certain things that are unique to each of them. They have overlapping flaws and they have the ability to pick each other up and they have a really powerful dynamic. And then you brought up that really pivotal scene between Ray and Jerry. And I love the line that Jerry says. He says, my whole life I've been trying to talk. I mean, really talk, but no one wants to listen to me. It's the ethos of this film in many ways. It's a little self-involved in my opinion, because everyone to some degree probably feels this and there's a little bit of hubris to it, but it also feels very genuine. It encapsulates to me what this film is saying is that someone who really has a message or who really wants to be meaningful and to have meaningful relationships and to speak to truth or to speak to loyalty and friendship and love and camaraderie and all these big things, espouse their emotions and ideologies on deaf ears because our world is in some ways very superficial. It's a really dark line Mm -hmm. to give to this poor kid. I mean, poor Ray has to uh, (laughs) take so much dark existential grief and absorb it. Luckily, he seems pretty impervious to it and just kind of smiles and talks about how much his head weighs or a head weighs and obviously he has a big head he's a big headed kid so so you pulled out key scenes from rod and a a key scene from ray and jerry what about dorothy and jerry what is your favorite scene between the two of them because their romantic relationship and trajectory is of course extremely significant and has many moments it's a major roller coaster ride throughout the film honestly it has a lot to do with and and jerry says it you know says that you know he married her because she's loyal and that's what happened in the beginning this guy walks out and says who's coming with me and she just stands up and says i'll come and throughout the entire time she never lost confidence in him i think it's just having someone who's behind you and beside you like she's in this too right and and she you know never lost her confidence in him she did say at one point that she was gonna take that job in san francisco and it was more along the lines of it wasn't that she didn't believe in him but just she knew that he was drowning right now he was obviously still paying her even though he didn't have the money to do it and she basically said you can't afford me jerry i know you're you're supporting me and my kid but right now you can't afford me so i'm gonna have to take another job and he just said just stay with me just stay with me we can do this and she does so it's not necessarily a specific scene that causes the turn there's that ultimate scene there at the end but that's to me is after everything i will say this whenever he and dorothy are at dinner with rod and regina king and they're like you know, loving on each other. And she's like watching out for him saying no more salt because you got to be ready for your game. And they're like hugging and kissing and being really intimate with each other in this crowded restaurant. And Jerry leans over and grabs Dorothy's hand and he like kisses her. Like, I think that's him saying, I want what they have. And this is, this is me kind of reaching out to you because of what you've done for me throughout this entire time. You could kind of look at that and say that he, he was kind of doing it like, 
like as a show because they're doing it, but you could also think that maybe there is some truth in that and that he wants what they have. Totally. Those are all interesting scenes, especially the restaurant one, because they see the model married couple with Rod and his wife, Miss Tidwell. They see that they have this really genuine and authentic ease between them. And as much as there is romance, a budding romance between Dorothy and Jerry, they're thrown into the deep end because of circumstance and largely out of pragmatism, mm-hmm. out of the need for health care and the need for his company to survive. And, you know, they're just really getting to know one another. It plays pretty well in my mind because you do believe that they have a true romantic interest in one another, but they're not yet truly ready to be married. So they're working out the kinks afterwards. You get that it's complicated even after. And Dorothy says some really poignant, deep things. And one of the quotes she says is, love shouldn't be such hard work. Oh, yes. This seems to go a little bit against what we might be saying, but it also, I think, aligns really nicely with it. Do you agree with this quote? It depends on what stage of life you're in, in my opinion. I think what she's talking about is that whole in love stage where you're courting, you're not married yet, but you're dating and you're thinking about getting married. You know, that should be easy, right? Like it should not be hard. And if it is hard at that stage, you need to get out. So, and I've known people who are like that, that are wanting to get married when they're having issues like that. I'm like, why? Come on. So I think that's what she was talking about. But I think someone hearing that on the surface or, or watching that on surface who doesn't understand what she's meaning can probably take that marriage shouldn't be so hard. Well, guess what? Marriage is hard. It's hard on everybody. <laughs> You're living with another person that's not you. You're not going to jive on everything. It's difficult and you have to push through it. I think it's dangerous for someone to continue using that throughout their life because, well, if I'm not happy, well, then I should just get a divorce well not necessarily i mean try like put some effort into this you know so it depends on the stage of life you're in love should not be so hard in the moment that they were in and in the moment that he was in with uh his ex-girlfriend avery that's her name kelly preston yeah and with avery it was on a surface level maybe easier on like the sensual level they seem to have no problem getting along and when everything in their external reality was smooth it seemed like they were were a compatible couple but when things started to break down is where they drifted apart and what you see with Jerry and Dorothy is they start at the most tumultuous times in probably both of their lives right Dorothy's a single mother with a kid and an unstable professional life and Jerry just embarrassed himself in his former company, walked out and is now trying to establish his footing in a very competitive field. And so, you know, they're both in a groundless state, which makes them more primed or ripe for one another, but also makes their relationship trickier or more precarious. And they have a lot of deep conversations in a very sober way. I was quite impressed with some of their near breakup scenes after they get married in that third act where they're saying some very brutally honest things to one another and saying it in very nonchalant ways. And it's not they're nonchalant, but you would think that they'd be more hysterical or you know theatrical, at least with their emotions. They'd be more magnified or heated, but they're, they're quite calm and collected. And that surprised me. And finally, they have the breakthrough 
where Jerry runs on the airport, gets on the plane and gets back while the divorce coterie, the ladies are still chatting. And they have, you know, the famous, you met me at hello scene. And that phrase, you complete me, pretty much ends Jerry's monologue, which harkens back to the scene between the deaf couple in the elevator when they first mm-hmm. met and walk out right. of the company. Do you buy that phrase? And do you think that's even a wise phrase? Not really, because I don't think we should depend on someone else to make ourselves whole. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the point of the movie is intimate personal relationships. But I think for you to be in a committed relationship, you have to have yourself whole. Like, you need to work on yourself First and foremost, if you're not complete, nobody else is going to complete you. I'm sorry. Now, in context, he was saying that he was there watching Rod, his guy, on Monday Night Football, doing his thing, doing his dance and everything. And it was a huge moment for him, for his client. It just felt empty to him. It was not complete because she wasn't there with him. So in context, the whole moment was not complete and his feelings inside were not complete because she wasn't there to share it with him. And that's cool. And I get that. And that that's kind of the point of, of the movie. And that's the point of, of marriage. Like, you know, someone uh, to share your life with is going to make great things even better. And without digging too deep into it, if you just take it at surface level and in context of what he was saying, I'm cool with it. Definitely. Throughout, we had, like I said, that Dickie Fox character who would give these nuggets of advice. Just to build on what you're saying, the very last piece of advice, which actually ends the film, it's the truly last scene. He says, hey, I don't have all the answers in life. To be honest, I have failed as much as I have succeeded. But I love my life. I love my wife. And I wish you my kind of success. And I find this very interesting quote in context of what we're talking about, because it says, first, I love my life. And then it says, I love my wife. And I almost think that if you take you completely too literally, it comes from this Lacanian emptiness or this, I need to fill this hole, this gaping hole with something to get psychoanalytic. It could be a toy. It could be a piece of anatomy of the mother. It it just changes and substitutes throughout your life. That's what some theories think, right? And Mm -hmm. it comes from this existential emptiness we have that we're constantly seeking. But I don't think they're really trying to be that deep or existential or psychological. I think he's basically just saying that my life is not as fulfilling without you. And I think that is fair. I think that someone can be self-sufficient and yet have the desire for another to feel complete in the same way that you should have a degree of self-love first. You never live on an island either, right? You always do need other people. Right. So I think that it's just a very romantic phrase that works beautifully. But I do think that you're pointing out key themes throughout this film that need to be dissected. That is that both of these people, Jerry especially, has to go through a lot of internal turmoil and figure out some things on his own. And that's my final question I want to leave you with, because I think what you brought up is very significant and meaningful. And I want to put it into the context of this film. Do you think that Jerry has reached the point where he's living up to his mission statement, where he's 
becoming the man he wants to be when he goes into his sort of fugue state at the beginning in that insomniac binge of writing, right? And changes his life. Do you think he's reached a status where he has enough self-empowerment and self-love to be truly open to a healthy marriage with Dorothy? And I'm going to go back to what I was saying with the three personal relationships, the tripod of people he has, starting with Ray. And I have two kids, right? And kids just kind of bring out the best in us. Not necessarily for everybody because, you know, there are a lot of you know terrible parents out there. But I think for the most part, if you have some kind of a spark of wanting to do better, a kid is going to bring that out in you because a kid's just going to shoot you straight no matter what. That's what Ray does. And so it kind of puts him in his place and it gets him open to... Because I think he bonded with him first and foremost before anybody. Them going back and forth was just a really cool thing. So I think that really opened him up to be more intimate with others. And Rod just straight up pushing him and tearing him down and him biting back at him too. Like he told Rod, you know, the best part about being downstairs with all those people is you took that chip off of your shoulder for just a little bit. And so, I mean he was understanding that they've got to shoot each other straight and he probably didn't do that with everybody before. I mean, he probably was just like there to, to support them and coach them or whatever and try to get them more money, but he never probably was brutally honest with them. I wouldn't think until then because Rod was doing it to him. So he understands that that's important, the good and the bad. And Rod just basically, especially the the best part, man, was when he was uh, uh, with Rod out on the road at all these games, right? And Rod was just like, man, where's your wife? Why are you here? That was just boom, just like hit you hard with the punches, right? And it was just like, you need to be with your wife. You need to work on your marriage, man. He said, why, why did you even get married in the first place? He said, because she's loyal. He said, well, that's a reason. He's, he's not going to hold back. And I think he needs that. He needs somebody to push back at him for him to examine, you know, what's important in his life. Nobody really has ever done that to him before. And then you go on to Dorothy, who stuck with him. And we talked about how this is almost biblical. That's what a wife does. They're there to, to support you and stand behind you, but also, you know, kind of help guide you sometimes when you fall off to pick you up when you fall too. She was just a good helpmeet for him throughout the entire time. I think that pushed him to be a better man and to be a better husband and to live up to that mission statement. And I think in the end, he realized relationships are, are what matter and I'm blowing the biggest relationship I've ever had. So I got to leave this game and run and see my wife because I'm going to lose her if I don't. And if relationships are the key to business, if relationships are the, are the most important thing, I can't blow my biggest relationship. She's what's important to me. I need to go because she completes me. We're supposed to be together. She will make my life that much better. So yeah, I think him coming into that living room saying hello. <laughs> and, and I always wondered, when did he ever say hello? But it was then when he walked into the living room, which was cool because he goes through this entire spiel, right? But when she stood up, she was already on board. The fact that he came back, she was just like happy to see him and happy that he came for her. But you know, he wanted to pour his heart out to her and he had to, and he just felt like he needed to get off, get it off his chest. And so, yeah, I definitely think that in the end, he lived up to that mission statement in the beginning, in the beginning, and it did become a memo. I'm understanding the difference between those because I kept, I kept wondering what's the difference between a memo and a mission statement and, and why does he keep saying that? Well, a memo is something that's binding. 
right? It's something that a boss lays out and says, look, I'm sending out this company-wide email. This is precedent going forward. A mission statement is this is an ideology for this company. It's not necessarily you know, word for word what we're going to do, but it's just, it's principles to live by in this company. But no, it turns out to be something that's binding and, and what we should strive to. It was just cool that, that she kept saying memo and he kept correcting her. And in the end, Somebody said memo and he didn't correct them. I, I can't remember who it was, but he didn't correct them at the end. I was like, boom, <laughs> it is a memo now. That's a really cool reading of the memo mission statement. And I really like that because what you were saying, the mission statement is the principles to live by and a memo is binding. And he starts off with principles and they become binding by the end. And you also mentioned that it's quasi-biblical, the film. I was thinking, yeah, it is, but why? It's messy, it's a rom-com, basically, or a rom-drom. It's filled with pragmatism and sloppiness. And I mean sloppiness in the term of just how life is just kind of this entanglement of relationships that are just complicated. So why is it like that? Well, it's filled with life lessons. It's filled with different tenets and dogmas. I mean that in a positive sense, little credences that help us or hold our hand through like, you know, the hard times. And that's what the Bible in many ways is and what it was for especially the population it came out amongst. It was a booklet of advice for people in many ways of how to live your life. And what this film is about is that in many ways, I think it's a response to postmodern cynicism. They keep bringing up cynicism. Mm -hmm. And it is a film of earnestness, of genuineness, of wholeheartedness. And the fact that the film is a success is kind of heartwarming in the sense that there is hope to have something more earnest and down to earth resonate with a mass audience. I don't know how well this will continue to do in the upcoming years of us because I think we are becoming more and more of that cynical beast that first was becoming truly unleashed in the 90s and I think it's just gotten more out of control. Where do you see Jerry Maguire, let's say in 2040? We'll, we'll sound off with this. Do you think that Oof. Jerry Maguire will be a hit or will it be completely lost in the canon? Oh man, well, for, well I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, I got to tell you where it is for me and where it's always going to be for me. This last time I watched it was the first time I ever cried watching it. I think I teared up a little bit throughout it at various times, but when Rod gets that contract at the end, I lost control there because this dude obviously grew up with nothing and he's got nothing. He's got two kids and he just gets 11 million when he was asking for seven, right? And his whole world is changing and the tears that come out of his eyes. And when he just says, Jerry Maguire, you're the ambassador of Quan. Mm -hmm. Like it was just a huge moment for me. And I don't know why I wanted to just mention that, but I think there's always going to be a need for this type of movie. Now, whether or not people are turned on to it or not, I, I don't know. People don't really talk about Cameron Crowe's other movies either at this point. I like Almost Famous, but I mean, people don't really talk about it that much. I don't think you know my kids are even going to hear about it unless I force it on them, you know? Yeah, I mean, you get, that's a good point. It's hard to say because the world is getting more cynical. And that was his big thing at the end. You know, this is a cynical world that we live in. My gosh, you know, fast forward 20 years later, I, I don't really see it being that impactful in the grand scheme of things. And, and hopefully people still watch it and, you know, changes a lot of people's attitudes. I think that 
comes down to people like us, you know, the cinephiles of the world who appreciate this stuff. Because, I mean, stuff like Charlie Chaplin is still alive and kicking today and people were watching it. So people like us are going to have to take this mantle and, and carry it on, I believe, for it to carry on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Especially when the canon of films that are quality films is so inundated with good stuff it's hard to pick and select and curate from that what is a classic and what we take with us to like each generation but as you were speaking i was changing my mind i actually think this might resonate more and more because it so meticulously and directly tackles this debate of cynicism and earnestness and i think that the more cynical we get the more we need a little medicine and a little antidote from time mm. to time of mythology that brings us back to that. So in that sense, there's hope for this, I think, that it will serve even more potency in the years to come. So great conversation. And I just want to let you tell people where to find you, all the platforms you want to shout out, Letterboxd, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Uh, yeah, if you want to uh, chat with me more about film, I'm, a, I'm in the Feel and Film Facebook group. I'm pretty active in there. And I also have a Letterboxd account where I do you know, various reviews. I have one for this movie as well. And I also do a sports podcast called SEC Tavern Talk, where we talk about SEC sports and pretty much all college sports as a whole. Sometimes we dip into a pro, but mostly college. So if you like college sports, check it out. That's where you can find me. Thanks. Awesome. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you asking me. Anytime.